Hello and welcome to My PGCE, a podcast documenting my journey as a trainee teacher with a special focus on mental health. I am your host, James B. Good morning. So, three weeks have passed since we last spoke. The first week, I finished off my primary placement, my placement at a primary school, and then returned to my usual school. Then it was half term for a week, as half term usually is. Although I say that, sometimes it was two weeks at my school. Anyway, I spent that half term preparing an academic poster. It was my last university assignment. The poster was about creating an intellectual need for mathematics. And I submitted that poster on Monday. And then I've been back in school this week. And I'm in school five days a week from now on as well. Before half term, I was in university on Monday and in school for four days a week. But from now on, it's five days a week. So back at school this week, and I presented my poster. This was the last aspect of my university work. I presented that poster to my university tutors yesterday morning on Friday morning. So I submitted that on Monday and presented it on Friday. Okay, so there's a few things I'd like to talk about in a bit more detail. The first thing is my primary placement. It was great to spend time in a primary school. I picked up several different strategies that I may be able to use in secondary school, especially with my year sevens. But the thing that struck me the most was how different the behaviour and attitude towards learning was between year six and year seven. So obviously I'm thinking in particular of the year six class that I spent time with at this primary school and my year seven class at my usual school. It was night and day, the difference between them, especially behaviour. My year seven class aren't terrible. There are just several characters in there. You need to keep them contained, otherwise things can start to get out of control. But this year six class... A group of students who are about a year younger than my year sevens. Angels, every one of them. And it got me thinking about what happens between primary school, the final year of primary school, and the first year of secondary school that could possibly account for that change. And I think it may be something to do with relationships. So at primary school, the kids have one teacher who they're with all day, every day, who almost becomes like a surrogate parent as well as a teacher. And they develop very close relationships with that teacher. Whereas when they come to secondary school, suddenly they have a different teacher per subject. There just isn't enough time to develop a relationship that's anywhere near as close as the one they would have had with their primary school teacher. And for my year seven class in particular, they've had loads of different maths teachers this year. I think at least at least four, maybe more. 
So even with within one subject, they haven't had a consistent teacher. They've had a, a mixed bag. So there's no real hope of developing a relationship anywhere near the sort of relationship they would have had with their primary school teacher. And I think that has to account, or at least partially account, for the difference in behaviour between year six and year seven. And I do remember reading somewhere once that there was a study and they found that students who had the same teacher consistently performed better than students who had subject specialists for each individual subject. And that does seem to suggest that relationships are more important than having teachers who are experts in their subjects. So that's probably part of the problem. I may struggle with my year sevens because I don't have a really developed relationship with them, just haven't had the time to develop it. Although they are getting better, and perhaps that's because the relationship is developing over time. It's just a shame that we only have four hours a week. A primary school teacher has five hours a day, so it's difficult to compete. But I'd love to hear your thoughts about how to fast track those relationships. So the relationships are really important, but you don't have a great deal of time to cultivate them. So is there any way to fast track a relationship? I'd love to hear your thoughts. I suspect there might not be. I think time is crucial. So it may be a losing battle, but I'd be interested to hear your thoughts anyway. Okay, the second thing I'll talk about is the topic for that academic poster that I produced for my final university assignment. Like I said, it was about intellectual need. Well, what is intellectual need? It's grounded in Piaget's theory of disequilibrium and equilibrium. So you experience disequilibrium when you encounter a problem that you are not able to solve. And this problem compels you to strike out in new directions and look for new solutions and essentially learn something new so that you can solve the problem and return to equilibrium. So the idea here is that if we are to learn something or if we are to be truly motivated to learn something, then it must create a disequilibrium within us. And we as educators can take advantage of this as we teach. We can present our students with a problem that throws them into disequilibrium, but then we can provide them a path back to equilibrium. And what's that path? Well, it is that day's lesson. So this is all rather abstract at the moment, but I'll give you an example in just a sec. Another way to think about this is in terms of intellectual need. So if students have been thrown into a state of disequilibrium by a problem that they don't know how to solve, then they have an intellectual need to learn how to solve it and to return to equilibrium. 
yet another way to think about it is comfort zone, growth zone, and chaos zone. So if you imagine three circles inside one another, the innermost circle is your comfort zone. The middle circle is your zone for growth. And the outer circle is just pure chaos. Okay. A student within their comfort zone isn't going to learn anything. They need to be presented with something that falls beyond their comfort zone in order to learn and return to their comfort zone. And to be honest, it's not so much about returning to their comfort zone as it is expanding their comfort zone in order to accommodate whatever this new problem was. It is essentially the hero's journey. Okay, so. You're at home, you're comfortable, you're in your comfort zone, everything's familiar, and then something goes wrong. There's a problem, an obstacle, a threat. And in order to overcome this obstacle, you need to go out and learn something new. Okay, You have a need to learn something new in order to turn this unknown thing into a known thing, okay, to turn chaos back into order. And one final way to think about this, which is an especially helpful question to consider if you're an educator, and it's a Dan Mayer's question, is if today's lesson is an aspirin, how do I first give my students a headache? Create a headache in your students and then offer them an aspirin. Okay, right. At long last, I'll give you an example. I was teaching my students how to find the mean from a frequency table of data. But before giving them a frequency table, I first gave them just a very long list of data. Long enough for them to think, oh God, that's a lot of data. That gives me a headache. I gave them a headache and then showed them this new way of presenting data, which is far more manageable than the initial very long list. And so I created a headache and then the aspirin in that lesson was the frequency table. They could see, oh, yeah, that's a a far easier way to present this data. So the really long list initially They could find a mean from it, but their previous method was inefficient. The new method using frequency tables was far more efficient. Okay, So the long list was an obstacle that threw them into disequilibrium. And then the frequency table was a means for conquering this obstacle and returning to efficiency and familiarity. And in so doing, they've learned something new. Okay, But creating an intellectual need is a delicate procedure. And it has to be balanced against motivation. You want to present your students with a problem or an obstacle that just exceeds their current limit of knowledge, or at least makes their current methods inefficient. That's all you want. You don't want to present them with a problem that's completely overwhelming and just makes them drop their pen. And in this particular lesson, 
before I gave them that long data set, which gave them a headache, I'd given them two shorter data sets before that, where their usual method, what they already knew, worked, and it worked efficiently. It didn't take them too long to calculate the mean. So they'd already had some success in those first two questions. They were feeling good about themselves, motivated. One more question to go. A question which then gave them the headache. But importantly, I'd, I'd already got that buy-in from them. Okay, so that was a bit of a, bit of a ramble about intellectual need. Now, how has my mental health been recently? Well, in the past three days, four days, it hasn't been great. And that has been affecting my work at school a little bit. But I'm not sure whether it's a result of my work at school. Because at the moment, my workload has temporarily decreased. So I'm not as busy as I usually am. So it seems unusual to think that it's the stress of work that's made my anxiety spike in the past three or four days. And when I say my anxiety spiked, I mean that I've been suffering with tension headaches and dizziness. But like I said, I think it's not necessarily being caused by my work and my workload. I think maybe it's being caused by something else. I might be fighting a bug, for instance. I know that whenever I'm a bit run down, my anxiety levels do increase. Yet, aside from the dizziness and the tension headaches, I'm not suffering from any of the symptoms. So it, it's a funny one. All I know is that over the past three or four days, I haven't felt good. And I don't know why. Now, that in itself can be an anxiety-inducing or anxiety-exacerbating situation. To know you're not feeling good, but also to not know why. That's not very nice. Even now, I have a slight headache and I feel fuzzy, feel like my head's cloudy. Brain fog, I've heard it described as. I think that's a, that, that's a good way to think about it. I feel like my head isn't clear. So how should we proceed when we don't feel our best and we also don't know why we don't feel our best? I don't really know because on the one hand, I could do some investigations and really try to dig down into this and figure out what's going on. But that may not make me feel better. It may be better for a long-term solution if I could identify what's causing this. But it certainly won't make me feel better in the interim, in the short term. The alternative is just to convince myself that soon enough I will feel better. This feeling is fleeting and temporary and it won't last very long and soon I'll be back to normal. And that can be a comforting thought, although you have another voice in your head saying, but what if it isn't only temporary? And these thoughts are amplified when you're already not feeling your best. So it's a funny situation to be in. I feel slightly better today than I did in the week. So, I mean, I've even been speculating as to whether it's the tightness of my 
shirt collar around my neck that's causing my tension headaches or the fact that I've recently come off my hay fever medication. Who knows? All sorts of thoughts have been running through my head. Or the fact that I went to the chiropractor on Tuesday and she gave my neck a particularly good cracking this time. I didn't know whether she'd done something to me. But you can see how all these thoughts are actually quite intrusive. It would perhaps be better for me just to to know that soon enough things will improve and I'll feel better and just crack on in the meantime. But then my thought is, if things don't get better, how long do I leave it until I say go to the doctors? Again, I don't know. So I think the best immediate course of action would be to try and take my mind off it. So I'm going to the cinema this afternoon with my mum to see Jurassic World Dominion. I'm sure that will help no end. And I'm approaching the end of my PGC now, only a week or so left, I think, two weeks maybe. All I have left to do is my Viva, which is kind of like an oral exam, although I think it's more just a conversation about how the year's gone with my university tutors. I hope that you've made it this far. And if you listened to every episode up until now, I really thank you and congratulations. Someone messaged me on Twitter just the other day saying that they enjoyed the podcast. They're they're starting their PGCE next year, so they're a year behind me. And that was really encouraging to hear, so thank you for that message. And I'll be back with another episode in probably two weeks' time. If you like the episode, please spread the word in person and on social media. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at MyPGCEPod or email MyPGCEPod at gmail.com. Please subscribe, rate and review in your directory of choice. Please also consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash MyPGCEPod and helping fund both the podcast and my PGCE course. Thank you, and talk again soon.